The dead cannot cry out for justice. It is a duty of the living to do so for them. Louis McMaster Bougeot. Hey, we're going to do a little wrap-up episode for after several pretty important uh, episodes on racial justice and other justice issues. Yeah. And so we want to just do some wrap-up stuff. Thanks so much for being with us. I'm Taylor. And I'm Brian. And this is the Echo Podcast. Where we are looking for truth in the noise. Taylor. I got a I got a frog in my throat. You do. I uh, croaking. Sorry, that's bad. <laughs> that's okay. It'll be that cool raspy radio sound. Hi, you're listening to the Echo Podcast. <laughs> I'm a 1940s smoking dame yeah. who's here to can, can you cut my hair? It used to be that everyone that cut my hair was, you know, kind of had the smoker voice. I was talking to Barbara, and she was just telling me about Louise. Okay, change of gears, right? Let's do it. Man, for the past couple of weeks, we've had some pretty heavy conversations about a pretty important topic. Yeah, we had Laron West uh, talk about uh, racial justice and his growing up in Tulsa and uh just he shared a lot of biblical insight with us. And then we had Carolyn Schrage, uh on last week who shared about her work with uh, women in crisis pregnancies, um, men who are also impacted in those situations, and then women who have been in a trafficking situation. So, yeah, some heavy issues. Yeah, real, really heavy issues. Did anything just, like, stand out to you during the conversations? or? Yeah, with... With uh, Carolyn Schrage, one thing that just stood out was when the church uh, really leads out in the right ways and really honors God, it's uh, it's just really cool that the that the government, that state entities and agencies are saying, "Hey, Carolyn, can you all come help us?" Yeah, <laughs> because you're doing it so well. It blew my mind. That, that, that that's still an option. I think a lot of people are like, oh, church and state separation. And it's like, but when they do work together, not to enforce Christianity, but for the good of humanity, it, it turns out pretty well. So, you know, so I, I was impressed with the professionalism of justice. Yeah. That, that sounds really weird, right? Yeah. But like, it was attractive. It was appealing. It was, it was legitimately helpful. Um, it's not people crying in the street for justice. It's it's people at the ground level saying, no, 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 here's how we're actually going to do it, and then carrying it out. That's justice as an idea as opposed to justice as a reality are two very different things. Right, right. Yeah, it, did anything stand out to you with, with either of them? Um, so I never learned about Greenwood in high school, and I went to Broken Arrow Public Schools. Mm-hmm. And my only interaction with that history has been in the past couple of years when they've been reemphasizing and bringing it back up. So to talk to somebody who is a descendant from that event and is really engaged in it, it, it made it real. Like it's one thing to hear about things that are happening, and then it's another to actually hear from a person who is experiencing the ripple effect of that event, as well as just his own interaction with racial justice and his engagement uh, with a variety of communities. It just, it was incredible. Uh, but both, both of them emotionally wrecked me mm. um, after we recorded, and I just I had to take some time and reflect. 
I think they had that impact on lots of people. Uh, the last few weeks were some of the highest um, listening ratings we've had. Uh, I don't check that a whole lot, but every every once in a while I look in and a whole lot of people were impacted because they were listening and sharing with others. So I think a lot of people had that. One thing that I was just reminded of with LaRon West, you know, as you know, he's a good friend of mine and I had so many people say, I learned so much listening to him. And I said, I know, I, that's how I feel every time we have lunch or get together and visit. Uh, what he did in that interview really isn't different than what he just kind of always does. See, that's uh, awesome. And so that's great. That's so cool. I love that. Uh, we uh, Tulsa did get through the weekend, and I'm really thankful for that of uh, the centennial of the Tulsa Race Massacre. Uh, it was overall uh, fairly peaceful. There was a few kind of behind-the-scenes squabbles and a right. few things that uh, didn't go quite according to plan. One event got canceled. But overall, uh, most people that I talked to uh, in the Greenwood area were really thankful that there wasn't like a major incident or anything Good. like that. And I think most people were encouraged by the weekend. We were praying that it would be okay. Yeah, you know what we I mean? Were just, just, man, come on, the, the eyes of the world are on Tulsa. Let's, let's not mess this up, yeah. you know, kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, I, I, was, I was really proud to be, a, to be a Tulsan on that day. Just really like, well done. Yeah, we, I, I was there Friday morning right as they were still just setting up and doing sound checks on the stages. My wife and I had breakfast down there and walked around, and there was some tension in the air. You could just kind of feel it. The, pol- the police officers and security presence was very heavy, and yeah. you could just tell the way they were interacting was like they wanted to make sure every yeah. you know, I was dotted, and they knew exactly where traffic was flowing and all of that. And there was some fairly significant armed presence guarding a few buildings, mm-hmm. uh, especially the church, uh, the AIM church there. Uh, and then when we went on Monday, things were kind of closing down, and it was just kind of like a, ah, we made it kind of a feel. <laughs> so it was a very right. different feel. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Well, why? When did when did justice and 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 just the concept of of enforcing morality, or at least upholding? Morality. When did it become such a hot topic? It seems like this is such a controversial issue for hmm. us to talk about. At least yeah. nowadays it does. Right. I mean, I think just really, really big picture, there's just been different times where it has been. I mean, certainly uh, in, the, in the 1830s, 40s, and 50s, there were uh, some voices increasing with increasing volume and courage saying, we can't keep doing slavery. Right. Uh, uh, this is this is awful. Actually, Abigail Adams, John mm-hmm. Adams' wife, uh, was very adamant that um, slavery was a sin for our country. So there's been different times where the volume level has gotten louder about some issue of injustice. Obviously, right. you know Wilberforce. Uh, but in our current time, you know the the '60s would have been the civil rights era, and then uh, we've certainly hit kind of another peak time. I think we'll look back you know, 10 or 15 years and see 2020, 2021, where there was more attention drawn to more things. And I think what we're in the middle of now is, are we going to navigate those in a wise, healthy way or not? And probably we'll do some of both uh, as a country, maybe some good things, maybe some bad things, but hopefully a lot more good than bad. Hopefully a lot more good than bad. I I think we have a really good um, historical record for us to look back on and say, oh, this didn't work. 
or, yeah. oh, let's not handle it this way. Yeah. At least that's the hope. The hope is that people would be looking back on these types of events. Like, we don't want another Greenwood mm-hmm. for, for any ethnicity, for any part of town yeah. at all. Um, yeah, I think when the video came out of George Floyd uh, being killed, that was so shocking. And, of course, many uh, people of color would say, yeah, we've been telling you that these incidents have happened before um, and do happen at, at, at some points and have traumatized us, and they've been denied. And when a large segment of people actually saw it happen on video, for a lot of people it was like, oh, yeah, like you weren't exaggerating that there's some things that you're, you're dealing with in your community. So uh, it seemed like that's probably the kind of the flashpoint for this, would you agree? I, I I think so. The it seems like in the past couple of years there has just been a push for like a sexual justice, especially in Hollywood with all the events that were happening. Yeah. There's been economic justices recently with people coming out saying here are bad business practices that people have been doing, and now with racial justice that's incurring. So it it, it seems like, and I think it's probably just because of where our culture is postmodern wise. Um, we are now in what I think is a a post post modern mm-hmm, state mm-hmm. where we've redefined what justice means as, as Christians. It's it's God. It's His character, His nature. That that for us that's justice, but for non Christians or the rest of the world, we ask, what is justice? How do you implement it? What does it look like? And so I think there's this kind of resurgence of questioning morality mm-hmm. and where it comes from and why do we have it and what's considered good. Mm-hmm. So this cry and this push um, for justice, whether it is inspired or a natural consequence of what happened with George Floyd or America and the West was just in the right place for this, I don't know. Um, but I'm certainly glad it's happening, to be yeah. perfectly honest. We, we get to have these kinds of conversations, which 10 years ago people would think, oh, you're really paranoid, you know, mm-hmm. or, oh, well, it sounds like you're anti-Caucasian or that you're just jumping on the the cultural appropriation train. It's like, no, the Bible talks about justice. And as mm-hmm. Christians, we should care about it. Yeah. So. Yeah. I think the the minor prophets have so much to say. And I, I point people to, to go there uh, just about justice, not only from an individual level, but also from a systemic level. And I think one of the things that Probably another way to say what you said is we're, we're deconstructing our systems a little bit. Yeah. Like, do we have systems that marginalize and even abuse women? Are, right. Are, you know, Hollywood, turns out, had some of those systems in place. Yep. And if we believe uh, that mankind has a sin problem, then it should not be that much of a stretch to think some of our systems have a sin problem. Yeah, definitely. It, it's hard because you can't just say that every system is wrong. I, th- I think that's a little dangerous, yeah. um, but I do believe in systemic evil because if they're, like you said, evil people who are running systems, it's probably going to be evil ingrained. So when people say things like there's no such thing as systemic racism, my response is what, Jim Crow loss. Yeah. Th- that's systemic racism. Like yeah. that, That's exactly what that is. So every system, every person, no, that's, that's not what we're saying. But, you know, if it looks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, <laughs> if it sounds like a duck. If it tastes like a duck, it's probably chicken. No, it's a, it's it's a duck. So we just call it as we see it. And I I don't 
it's dangerous, I think, in, in our world today when people are telling you don't talk about certain things mm-hmm. when it's clearly there. It's almost as if they want to avert their gaze yeah. because the topic's hard yeah. or it's uncomfortable. And as a Christian, I'm only cool with comfortable things. Yeah. Yeah, there there's some defense mechanisms. A close friend of mine was just telling me this week that he had a conversation with a an acquaintance of his who said, you know, if if the black people would have just obeyed the law, the whole race massacre would not have happened. Wow. And I was like, oh no. See, that's and, the that's the point where you stand up and go, have you read the history? And then you take the book and you just, you know, my friend did a know. good job of kind of walking him through that, and wow. he kind of just, you know, just answered uh, all of his. Uh, he he went back at him with some history. And he undid all of the other person's arguments, and the person was left without anything to stand on, but he still was holding on to it, and he ended the conversation with, well, you know what I mean. <laughs> what? And so it's like, I, I'm not No, gonna, sir, I don't. That's what he said. I, so he's not going to change his mind in spite of all the facts. He's just going to be mad. And that defensiveness is so unchristlike. Yeah. Uh, and it's so unhelpful for our culture. And so... Uh, I get it. There's people that are uh, blaming things on race that aren't a part of race or making race the main part of identity, and that's not healthy. But we're not saying you have to do that. And the Bible does not say you have to do that. In fact, the Bible says don't do that. Your main identity is in Christ, as Laurent said so eloquently. Uh, But we have to be willing just to, uh, you know, admit, you know, our country isn't perfect. Nope. And I think that's what it comes down to is this person is hanging on to don't tell me that don't 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 pop my balloon All of right. what I believe the city or this country or the state or whatever it right. is uh, to be the difference between the patriot and the nationalist is what they worship the patriot doesn't worship the country the, the, the patriot loves their country mm-hmm. I'm a patriot I love America mm-hmm. that doesn't mean it's perfect and without issues. The nationalist said, no, no, come hell or high water, just my country. Yeah. It, it, it is the God. It is the final say-so um, in, in that regard. Um, so within the topic of justice, want to shift, still still a part of the conversation, um, you've mentioned multiple times that, um, that you're concerned with how Christians are do, uh, viewing critical race theory. Why? Well, when did we start worrying about critical race theory like kind of a national volume level you have a guess for like what when that would have been tuesday (laughs) we started worrying about it on tuesday (laughs) but but within this last year right uh i i think so i think i think that was the first time that at least i had heard of it um as a historical interpretation device Mm -hmm. yeah i would guess that that's true for about 95 percent of people all right and my concern is why did we start hearing about it now? Mm. What happened? I think what happened was George Floyd, and there was a national conversation about racial justice. Yeah. And so I've been trying to think of a metaphor, and this is a broken one, but here <laughs> it goes anyway. Imagine that you started a movement to warn people about the dangers of fire, and uh, so you wanted to go make speeches at schools and stuff and talk about fire safety and don't leave the oven on and those kind of things. Right. Um, and uh, as soon as you started doing that, another group started, uh, came out, uh, a, a group that actually loves to kind of play with fire, 
Um, and so they came out and they started saying, you know, what, what you actually need to worry about is water because water comes out of the hose to put out fires and the water can actually cause damage to people. Like if you spray them in the face or hit them with the hose, you could actually hurt people with the hose. And so every time you tried to warn people about fire safety, another group started going underneath you and saying like, no, 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 the real problem, the real danger in life is our hoses and water. You would be really deflated. Right. And I've just been begging Christians to understand that's what this conversation is doing to a large percent of the people who have been accused of being like woke or Marxist or embracing CRT. Yeah. I, I do think there, there needs to be discussions about in the academic settings, certainly, uh, do we want to embrace this theory? I think the theory, can you teach it? Sure. I don't have a problem sure. with that, teaching any kind of theory. Yeah. But, um, but to maybe teach other theories as well. At its worst, it isn't, it can be negative because it, at its worst, it puts everything in the light of race. Yes. Um, at its probably best and more moderate is just a tool to kind of evaluate how does race impact our systems. Right. And so there's lots of argument about what it even is. My concern is it's often being used to shut down any conversations about racial justice. And I have a huge concern for churches that are, that are saying, look out for critical race theory, look out, look out, look out, look out. And they've never actually talked about racial justice. Mm -hmm. So they're coming in saying, without ever addressing the real sin issue and criticizing a broken mechanism to address that sin issue, as opposed to addressing a sin issue with a biblical message, with biblical tools. Right. So that's why I'm cheering for people who are biblically informed yeah. to lead this discussion and to have biblically formed Christ-following people not just exit the conversation and criticize it from the outside. And also don't, don't embrace sound bites. Yeah. I, that's really frustrating. So when somebody says, oh, critical race theory is Marxist, there are clear philosophical references mm -hmm. that they share. Mm -hmm. um, because critical race theory does look at oppressed, oppressor, mm -hmm. system, person involved. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure, I get that. That's not intrinsically Marxist, though. It just is an easy way to divide up people to analyze. It's a theory, and we yeah. have to remind ourselves, pause, what is it really saying, and the danger of not actually doing your own research, right. of only taking what other people have said about it, as opposed to take your 10 minutes and read this paper, you, you know, so that yeah. you can be better informed. How people are using it, I think that's what we would have a problem with at some point. Yeah. Um, if somebody is using it to push a certain agenda or to remove themselves from the conversation, yeah, we would be like, that. that's not what this is for. Yeah, and th there's certainly people who are making power plays. We've seen that in Tulsa this past week, I think, where um, uh, some people may have an agenda and will use conversations about racial justice to pursue that kind of power play or whatever. Um, however, uh, acting like everyone who talks about racial justice is a part of that is pretty destructive for any kind of gospel purposes. And so that's my, that's my hope is that we would just realize the reason that critical race theory was ever formed was because there were issues of racial injustice. And I want the church to put its greatest energy in addressing that first issue yeah. and coming up with better ways than maybe a professor wants to teach CRT 
to do it. I, th- I think for I think you and I, as we engage, and I think for most Christians, as we engage with justice, it's it has to point to something, mm-hmm. the, the standard, the goal, the origin, yeah, if you will. So, how how can Christians engage in a way that still shares the gospel, but but doesn't discount the injustice or doesn't discount the people who are going through a season of injustice or or who are being um, victimized, not that they are victims, but that they are being victimized by a system or a people or a movement and yet still point towards the gospel. How do we do that? Yeah, I think uh, to not be defensive, but to help people see how they were created. I, I think in areas whether it be racial in, injustice or uh, uh, somebody who's been trafficked, um, to say, why is it that your heart is so angry about this injustice? You know, there, there are not animals, you know, marching around protesting that another animal was mistreated. That's not <laughs> within the framework of an animal's right. soul to do that. Uh, so what is it about the human condition that we would be angry about injustice? And I think for Christians, for you to say to somebody, hey, I think that you're frustrated or you're angry or you're sad about this injustice because the God who created you is just. And he put it in your heart to long for justice. And you may or may not be going about it the right way, but that very core part of you that longs for justice is because God created you in his image. It's like um, what G.K. Chesterton said. He said that the only reason that there are atheists is because there is a God. Mm-hmm. The only reason that there is injustice is because there is justice. This yeah. isn't some weird abstract concept that we just grew to accept through evolutionary process. It's like, no, no, this is deeply ingrained in our design. Yeah, And it's really an apologetic question, really. The origin of justice, it's God. And, and we get to point that direction. Now, we don't have to beat people over the head with our family edition Catholic King James Bible with all the family tree and the Apocrypha to get our point across. Yeah. But very much so, we can ask questions like, why does justice matter? Where do we go from here? Um, so as a pastor, this is not on our list of questions to okay. talk about today. As a pastor, how do you navigate talking about biblical justice um, from the pulpit? Mm-hmm in a way that isn't alienating, but is still true to the gospel. I think that my job is to speak what God wants me to speak. And I, I do feel burdened by God or encouraged by God, prompted by God to address this. And I think the Bible demands it of us. But I want to teach and preach and lead in a way that gives every opportunity to bring people along. And there's times I've said things in the past where I was talking to someone um, where later I was like, boy, I could have done, I could have been more gentle yeah. in helping them come along. So there's like this this gray area kind of in between of preaching biblical truth and pointing out areas of injustice in our culture, in our society, in our hearts, things that are wrong, things that we don't want to uh, condone, uh, but doing so in a way that that allows people to onboard, to come along with us, because that's leadership. Right. And But sometimes it's easy to be so afraid that you're not gonna bring people along that you just don't say anything at all. And I think the political temperature in our country makes it very fearful for lots of pastors to say anything, because a lot of people, as we've talked about in 
grieved are being discipled more by their politics uh, than by the gospel. And so we want to make sure that's not the case and make sure we don't wimp out and avoid <laughs> right. those yeah. passages, uh, but that we, we do so in a gentle way, hopefully. I don't, that's not maybe answering specifically, but I don't know. Does that get you close? Yeah, no, definitely. I, I, think, I think it does. Be- because of how our culture is handling justice, the Christians should recognize that we view justice differently. Mm-hmm. It, our view of justice is countercultural. It, it may be even counterintuitive because of how much faith is informing our reason as much as our reason is informing our faith. So I've really enjoyed this series. This has been probably the headiest and heaviest yeah. uh, conversations that we've had. I'm really grateful for them. Yeah, I, I am too. And I just feel like our the, the two extra guests we had on are just all-stars in my book, and I'm just so thankful. Yeah. And I know they're both humble, but uh, I just look up to them so much. Yeah, and thank you to the to you, listener, who's listening to this right now. Thank you for coming with us on this journey. Um, this is probably not going to be the only time we talk about this topic as it's woven throughout Scripture, um, and a lot of our own theology does deal with justice and morality and good versus evil and crime and punishment. Um in, in those regards. So um, yeah, any final thoughts, last last words before we yeah. move on to our, our next little bit lighter series? Yes. So if you think that if you are making people really angry who are being discipled by those politically way on the right and those politically way on the left, <laughs> you're probably doing something right. So hang in there. Yeah. Uh, be loving and be gentle and sit down with people. But Uh, just realize that to speak about justice and then to do justice. And if I can just say one more real quick thing, uh, think about ways that you can practice what I would call micro justice, like without necessarily just speaking about how to reform our prison systems. We need people to do that. But that's a really big, complicated issue. Yeah. So can you love someone who's just gotten out of prison, Mm -hmm. who's your neighbor? Or can you care for someone who may be disadvantaged because of their background or not as many opportunities for education? Can you find a family of color who uh, you can pour into and love and care for because of friendship and maybe start a scholarship fund for one of their kids just like you do for your kid? Like what are these micro bits of justice that you can do? And the more you do those, then I think you'll be more informed about how to handle and talk about the big issues. So let's echo this back. As Christians, we should not be afraid to engage in the conversations about justice, since we know that justice comes from the character and nature of God, and uh, maybe we should participate in it, not just on the big scale, but locally, within our own families and communities. And if we are frustrated about the justice efforts going on around us, don't run away from them. But instead, let's fill those efforts with biblically formed Christ-following people uh, to help guide those efforts in good, holy, biblical ways. I'm Taylor. And I'm Brian. And this has been the Echo Podcast. Where we are looking for truth in the noise.